0: Okay, so good morning. It's a beautiful day. Um, I want you to think this morning of a time when you have felt lost. So maybe that's not so far along for you. Maybe you can remember being a child and being lost in a shopping centre or something like that. Or there are other course types of lost as well, aren't there? For example, you might feel lost when you lose your job, for example, and you think, I'm just not sure really what I'm meant to do now. Or it could be that you um, start a new school and you feel really lost, even though there's a crowd, you feel lost. Sometimes you can feel lost when you've been with someone for a long time, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner or a husband or a wife, and they are no longer there. You can get that sense of, I just don't, I don't know what to do now. I, just, I don't know what to do because I feel lost. And as I was thinking about this, um, straight away an image came into my mind of when I was at the Common with Emily and Rebecca was very small Um, she was just literally a baby and she was asleep on the rug and Emily was playing in the paddling pools and she's quite, uh, she needs people. So she was really good at this time, she started making friends and she just would go off and do her own thing. And I've got my eyes on her the whole time but suddenly there's this immense shriek and I mean shriek, I mean a wail (laughs) and the whole paddling pool can see this girl of Well, she would have just, maybe just been three. And she is hysterical in the middle of the paddling pool because she is lost. She doesn't know where I am. She has somehow forgotten where I am sitting. And she is utterly traumatized at this point. But in reality... I am there. I know exactly where she is. My eyes are on her all the time. She is not lost in any shape or form. But her perspective at that moment, she is filled with terror. And that is how it can feel when we feel lost. We don't know what to do and we need someone to come and rescue us. And of course, I leapt up baby here wading through the paddling pool to go and rescue this distraught child and um and this morning I want to think about God being a bit like that that his eyes are on us sometimes we can feel completely lost we don't know what to do But he is like that parent who is completely aware of where we are and what is happening and is more than willing to jump up and start wading in their clothes through the paddling pool to get to us. In the psalmist in Psalm 139, it's that beautiful psalm that's often used at dedications about God knows us, but he's it's, it's got that bit in it about where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from you? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. There is nowhere, the psalmist realises where he can be away from God's presence. Sometimes it can feel like we are a million miles from his presence, but he is there completely next to us. So that's what we're going to look at today. And um, we're going to look at that concept through a character in the Bible. As we know, God doesn't just give us a book and say, this is what I'm like, I'm faithful, I'm loving and kind. No, he shows us what he is like through relationship with his creation. That's how we are able to say, my God is to me personally, my saviour, because we have experienced him. And when we look at characters in the Bible, we get to see what God was like for them. See how God came through for them. See how God knew them. See how God rescued them. And this is the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This is our God. And so I'm super excited today because we're going to be looking at Hagar. Now Hagar I feel is such an overlooked woman of faith. She never gets talked about. It's all about Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. Oh she just kind of was this problem that happens in the middle and that's very much how she gets treated continually as the problem in the middle. Something to be used and abused and then discarded But in God's kingdom, she is an amazing woman who he loves, and she is an amazing woman of faith. So I'm excited about studying her today. So let's turn to Genesis, and we're going to look at both the accounts that we see of Hagar, and we're going to start in Genesis 16, which is where we first hear about her. She's uh, just a lovely woman, and we're just going to walk through today and see what we can pick out as we go along. So, chapter sixteen, and um, if you want to follow along, it's on page sixteen. Conveniently, sixteen. Pens are falling. It says now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Egyptian slave, of course, from when Abraham went into Egypt. There was a famine wasn't a particularly nice uh, husband at this time. You can imagine it was a very frosty caravan on the way home uh, because he said that um, Sarah was not his wife. She said that she was his sister and she ended up in various... That's a sideline, but that's where Hagar's come from. When he was in there, he acquired a lot of stuff and one of them was slaves and here's Hagar. Hagar's name means stranger or to flee... And you'll see more of that as we go through. So she said, um, Sarai, said to Abraham, Abram at this point, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed with Sarai, with what, um, agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abraham, oh, I keep getting wrong, Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai took her took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between me, you, and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her presence. Oh, fled from her. So here we have this mess. If you think your family's a mess, well, welcome to Genesis. We're going to be studying it a bit more in September. And this is just kind of just an everyday thing in Genesis. We've got Abram and Sarai, right, and they can't have children. Now, you might think this is the oddest thing, that she would take her slave and said, perhaps I can build a family through her, giving someone else to your husband if you can't have children. But when you want babies, you do odd things. I know when I was trying for our second baby after a year, I felt absolutely desperate, and friends of mine said, you know, try 10 years. Well, these guys have been trying about 50 years they're pretty old now. And we know that that can um, send you a bit crazy. I just want us to look very briefly. If you look at six, um, chapter uh, 16, no, 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 chapter 15, chapter 2, if you just sneak back. You might think it's just Sarai that's desperate for a child. But we see that Abram is also desperate for a child because he's just had this big, massive fight to rescue Lot. And God comes to him to comfort him and says um, in verse 1, Don't be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield and your very great reward. I'm everything to you. I'm your reward. I'm all you need. And what's the first thing Abraham says? Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain, remain childless? This is really on his heart. It's not just on Sarai's heart. The pair of them are desperate for a child. So you can see how something like this would happen. So they decide to use this slave, Hagar. And you'll notice in the whole of this section and the next, they never use Hagar's name. She is referred to as her, she, or slave. Now, that tells you quite a lot, doesn't it, about how they are viewing this woman. She is very much property, and you need to remember that as we're going through. And it says, when she became pregnant, she despised her mistress. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that you are, we can't even begin to imagine, to be honest, but we are property-owned. You have no rights at all. You are their slave. You are used by them to produce children. And for the first time, perhaps Hagar thinks, I've got something that might give me a little bit of power in this relationship. And we can't justify what she, what she does. She despised her. It means that she uh, had a deep repugnance for her. She loathed her. She hated her. She was not able to stomach her mistress. These are powerful emotions. And if you have been pregnant or you have been around a woman who is pregnant, you'll know she has some pretty strong emotions going on. And we see them coming up. And Sarah doesn't know what to do about this. You know, this plan of hers has gone desperately wrong. It has backfired in a big way for her. So the first thing she does is, Abraham, it's your fault. (laughs) And he says, no, it is your fault. She's yours. No, she's yours. Nobody wants to deal with the great problem that they have made. And so they continue to treat this poor woman As an object, we read that Sarai ill treated her. Now, this word means to afflict somebody, to force them to be humble before you, to submit, to weaken them, or to mistreat them. Now that gives you an idea, doesn't it? You know, when we look at the Bible, we want to make everyone fluffy. Oh, this wonderful woman of faith. But the Bible never takes it out. It never takes out our sin. Because we need to know, don't we, that every single person is blessed and saved by grace and not because they were nice people. And so it says that she fled, and that's where some of her name comes from, to flee. She fled from Sarai. She fled from her presence. It says in some translations that Sarai drove her away. And where does she she get driven? Well, let's look at verse seven. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that was beside the road to Shur and he said to Hagar slave of Sarai where have you come from and where are you going I'm running away from my mistress Sarai uh, my mistress Sarai she answered then the angel of the lord told her go back to your mistress and submit to her the angel added i will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count the Angel of the Lord also said to her, "You are now pregnant, and you'll give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man, his hands will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. We'll just pause there so she 's driven into the desert into the wilderness. You can imagine she is a slave, so what does she have at this point? Absolutely nothing. And she is heading home sure is near egypt it 's like on the western side she 's heading home through the wilderness she 's distraught she doesn 't know where she 's going, and God meets her. And he says these simple things. Where have you come from? And where are you going? It's the really simple questions that God often whispers to us to make us realize that he's there. If you think about Elijah, when he fled and he was desperate and he was alone and he also went to this same wilderness. He says, where are we, why are um, what are you doing here? Very simple question. When Jesus met Mary in the garden after his resurrection, he just simply said, why are you crying? It's those simple words. I can remember when um, a few years ago, when I went, uh, quite a long time ago actually, I was at New Wine, and it was a time when there was a great uh, kind of movement of the spirit and lots of people were falling over and I really wanted this. And I would rush down the front every night, and I'd walk back again. <laughs> I rushed on the front and I walked back and one night God just simply said don't you know me? And it was so clear and so powerful at that point I just went back to my seat and I thought you know God's so good to me. He's saying you know me already Louise. What on earth are you doing here where have you come from and where are you going you silly daughter of mine and he speaks to her and she says i'm running away from my mistress sarah she doesn't lie you know she says it it's really simple she's running away from the presence of of her mistress she doesn't have a clue where she's going and the angel of the lord told her can you imagine being told this think about where she's come from Go back to your mistress and submit to her. You know, that is a hard thing. Can you imagine being told to go back into the situation you don't want to go back into? God doesn't always rescue us out of situations. He didn't say, "Hey, hey God, I know you've been mad, badly treated. Come on, I've got over here this great thing for you." He says, "Go back and submit." And that's not an easy thing to hear. And we'll come back to that later. The second thing I want to see, show is Hagar was in no way looking for God. She is not looking for the, for the God of the people that just mistreated her, is she? And yet as I was thinking about this, I thought time and time again, God consistently reveals himself to people who are not looking for him. Abraham was not looking for him. Moses was not looking for him. Jacob was not looking for him. Saul was definitely not looking for him. This is our God. And that's the reality that he reveals himself to us when we are not looking for him. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we couldn't care less, Christ died for us. When we were running in our own way and didn't know where we were going, Christ died. For us. And he gives her this amazing promise. Now, as I read it again, think where have you heard this promise before? I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. You can speak. Abraham, oh my life, not only does Abraham get met without wanting God to come, but Hagar, this woman we never talk about, we never think much of her, she's a no one, we don't even need to mention her name, we'll call her slave or her, she is met by the living God who says and I will increase your descendants, so many that they are too numerous to count. God, he sees every single person every person and everyone in this world has an encounter waiting to happen with the lord there will be too numerous to count the angel also said to her you are now pregnant and you'll give birth to a son maybe she's been beaten she needs reassurance by life when you're in the early stages of pregnancy you spend every day thinking you're going to lose that child you will have a son and you will give him the name ishmael what does it mean god hears. We've got the shmail, which means to hear. We've got the ale of the Lord. We've got the ye from Yahweh. God hears. God hears. It can also mean he understands or he has witnessed what has happened. I think that's beautiful. For the Lord has heard that same word that's in Ishmael's name, Shama, Shmael. He has heard of your misery, your affliction, your poverty, your pain. He knows about you, Hagar and then he gives her a bit more about what her child will be like and it's not easy you know God's not going to say oh and you're going to have a perfect child and there's going to be no problems no he says actually it's going to be a bit tough actually but it's in there and the beautiful thing I think about this is even in that even in that prophecy of what her child's going to be like it shows us once again that our sin does not stop God's blessing Our sins do not stop him being gracious to us and pouring out stuff on us. He's going to live in hostility to his brothers. God's still going to bless him. Still going to bless him. Still going to bless a Hagar. So she gave this name to the Lord. She's the only person that gives God a name. This woman we don't really want to talk about much. She gave him this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Sees the one who has seen me? Can anyone see God? Some translate it as I have, well I have to read it. Have I even remained alive here after seeing the back of the one who sees me? There's a lot more in there than we've got time to go into. And that's why the well is called Roy. It means well of the living one who sees me. Can you imagine? She has had this beautiful encounter with the living God. He sees when no one else cares. He sees the crying in secret. He sees those that are unloved, hurt, and misunderstood. He sees beyond our sin into the depth of our soul. And he declares blessings and grace over us. Verse 16, oh, 15, sorry. So Hagar bore Abram a son and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. The only way that Abraham would have named him that is if Hagar, when she got back, had told him of what had happened. Can you imagine Abram and Hagar standing there going, I have met him too. I have met the Lord and he's given me the same promise. Can you imagine how that feels now for Sarai? You can see it's a tangled web. One, one wife's tricky, two is trouble. <laughs> and every time Ishmael is called there is a reminder to that family that God sees and God is listening. This is Hagar's security, isn't it? She goes back in the most horrendous situation she doesn't want to go into. All she wants to do is flee. How can she possibly do that? Well, one she has experienced the presence of the living God. She has met. She knows that he knows her. He sees her. He understands her. He has good things for her. He's given her promises for the future, hope to continue going, and he's given her assurance. Ishmael, the God who sees. He's given her protection and how much more can we identify with that when we have met with the living God and he has given us hope for the future he has given us a way forward he has given us a vision and promises and we can go back into any situation with him and so time goes on and we're going to skip to chapter 21 but i'll just give you a little bit of a bit in the middle. So Ishmael goes back. He grows up with his dad. Everything's going well. Um, He's 13. He'll get his bar mitzvah. He's come of age. Everything's great. Abraham, Abraham and Hagar, you can imagine they're thinking, well, this is God's answer. We both got the same promise. So this must be the answer. Here is our son, Ishmael. But that's not the answer, is it? God comes when Ishmael is 13. Interesting, isn't it? When he comes of age, that's when he comes and he says, you guys are going to have a baby and I'm not going to do it through Ishmael. I will establish your descendants through another child. And Abraham, interestingly, he pleads with God at this point. It's not that he doesn't care about Ishmael. He says, please, if only Ishmael could be the one. He loves his son. Don't ever forget that. He loves Ishmael. He says, if only Ishmael. And God says to him, Abraham, I've heard you. He used that same word again. I've heard you. I've listened to you. I understand you. I will surely bless him and I will make him fruitful. And this is the beautiful thing. You'll find it in chapter 17, verse 20. You might have missed this completely in the past, but this is a beautiful thing. When God says what's going to happen to Ishmael, he, he reaffirms that he's going to make him great, numerous. He says, 12 rulers will come to you. Does that remind you of anything? 12 will come from you. Isn't it amazing? Like, we can make the biggest mess up in our lives. We can even bring someone into our marriage and have a child. But God takes all our messes, whatever mistakes we've made, and he makes them flipping awesome. He says, you know, I'm not going to write off this child because you made a mess. No, I love Ishmael and I'm going to bless him too. I'm encouraged by that. Let's look at chapter 21, verse 8, and it's the last bit we're going to do this morning. So he's now up. um, Let me see. Isaac's been born. He survived the first few years. Here we are, and we're ready at a family celebration. We'll have a massive party. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham had a great feast great celebration but Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking and she said to Abraham get rid of that slave woman and her son for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance of my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son but God said to him do not be so distressed about the boy of your slave woman. Listen. There's that word again. Here, I'm listening. Now you listen to me. Listen to what Sarah tells you, because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. I love this bit. So you can imagine they're at the feast and Ishmael's had this great relationship with his dad and he's now probably about between 15 and 19, I guess. And this little boy is between sort of two and six, I guess. And they're celebrating because he's made it past that awful bit of life when infant mortality in those days and and for many countries in the world today is a reality, isn't it? So he's made it. It's a time of celebration. There's joy. The whole whole of the uh, uh, attention is on Isaac. This is the one. And Ishmael is over here, and he is very much in the corner. Now, you know about sibling rivalry, I guess. Some of you, you might have a sibling or you've seen it. This is a good case. And he mocks him. He laughs. This boy, Isaac, whose name means laugh, is laughing at him, and this is about all Sarah can take. I'm surprised he's not whacked around his head with a sippy cup or something. But anyway, so she loses it completely once again. This is kind of like her, I guess. She says, Get rid of that slave woman. Notice again, is she called Hagar? Well, not in Sarah's eyes. Get rid of that slave woman. She will ne- he will never share in the inheritance. He will never supplant or make poor my son. And as I said before, Abraham is distressed. that distressed, it's great suffering, anxiety, evil. It, it, he senses that it's harmful. He's suffering at just the thought of this, the son he loves, and this emotional tension between a promise and a wife and your mess. Oh, can you imagine the chaos of this family? And I reckon this is probably one of the bravest things Abraham does. Because he sends Isaac and Hagar back into the wilderness he effectively sends them to die and he does it on the promise of God I will make the son of the slave into a nation also we think a lot don't we of God's willingness to sacrifice Isaac but as I've looked at this I think he sacrifices Ishmael And he does it on a promise. I'll make him into a great nation. So they sent him off into the wilderness. The water runs out. The skin is gone. She put the boy under one of the bushes. That word put, it's used for an object or a dead body. She thinks he's dead. She puts him under a bush so the animals won't eat him. And then she goes off because she can't bear to watch him die. And she begins to sob. And at this point, you can imagine, like many of us, where is the God who sees at this moment? Where is the God who hears me now? You know, and often for us, we go through a battle and we come out the other side rejoicing. God has saved me. He's amazing. He knows me. He rejoices in me. He's got good plans for me. But it might be a week or it might be years and we are facing the same kind of thing again. Only this time, our giant is now 20 foot high. And we're having to pray and seek God again. And where is God? Why has this happened to me again? I thought I, I thought I did this already. This was a battle I'd won. And you're back in that battle again. What does it say? Verse 19. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water So she went and filled a skin of water and gave it to the boy to drink. You can imagine her just trembling and the breath going, please live, please live, please live. Please live. And God meets her, doesn't he? Verse 17, he's there again. God heard that same word of Ishmael's name, the boy crying, groaning. And the angel of God called to Hagar, proclaimed to her from heaven and said, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. My life. Talk about another simple question. What's the matter, Hagar? (laughs) Just like Jesus with Mary, why are you crying? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy. He's like, get up. Take his hand. I'm going to make him a great nation. He does the promise again to her. So when we're fighting this humongous giant again, God is gonna come through and he is gonna say, I'm here, I've heard you. And I'm just gonna end with this. Verse 20 is just beautiful. There's so much good stuff in this. I'm sorry I've talked so long today. It says, God was with the boy as he grew up. How many of us have written off Ishmael? God was with the boy. No amount of sins, no amount of mess, no amount of giants can ever separate us from the love of God that is for all people and all nations in all time, whatever our situation, wherever we find ourselves, whatever we're doing, God's love is there. I'm gonna leave it there for this morning, but let's just pray as we finish. Father, we thank you that you are always present. You are always listening. You are always seeing nothing has gone unnoticed. We thank you, God, that however much we've messed up, however wrong decisions we've made, whatever we've done, however rebellious we've been, You love us passionately and long to shower us with your grace, your mercy, and your love. And we thank you that we can do nothing at all to earn it. And Father, we thank you that it doesn't matter what our family circumstances are or were or how we came about, whether we were wanted or unwanted. You have great purposes for us and great plans. Father, we thank you for what you've been speaking to us today. We pray, Father, that we would know your presence in our lives more and more as we walk and trust you. Amen.